the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke chapter 19 beginning at the first verse. Glory to you Lord Jesus Christ. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, you Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words that come from my mouth make sense because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, uh, we had a really familiar passage uh, with Jesus and the little children. And today is another one of Luke's greatest hits. I've been singing about Zacchaeus since I was a child. Zacchaeus was a very little man, and a very little man was he. I was horrified that in other parts of the world they sing Zacchaeus was a wee little man. As an Australian child, I'm glad that wasn't the words because we would have had a field day with that song in Sunday school. But we all know what this song is all about, don't we? It's about a small person who has a dodgy job, who makes big changes and becomes a better person. The classic sinner to saved transformation. But this morning, I'm hoping we can take what might seem like a black and white story from our Sunday school classroom out into the big wide world which is full of shades of grey. It's not that this gospel passage isn't a sinner to saved transformation. It's just that there's so much in this short passage there's some really big stuff that you might not have noticed. And the one who you might think is lost might not actually be lost at all. Luke, who is by his own admission writing an orderly account, sets this interaction up for us to jump to really quick conclusions. Zacchaeus is short. He's a tax collector. So he must be a sinner. 
By the time we've gotten to chapter 19 in Luke's Gospel, we know how this goes. He must be lost. But last week I encouraged you to rethink everything. And that challenge stretches through to today's scripture passage. I want to start with the obvious. Zacchaeus was short. It's somewhat ironic that the person preaching this morning is the tallest possible preacher in our church. Short people got no reason. Short people got no reason. And somebody didn't believe that I'd play that clip in a sermon. Now, I don't want to dispute that Zacchaeus was physically short. In fact, I've read a number of biblical scholars who make a compelling case that he actually suffered from dwarfism. But I'm equally convinced that short in stature is also meant to be metaphoric. The word stature is only used twice in Luke's Gospel, here and in this earlier verse. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and with people. As I'm reading that passage about Jesus, I'm not thinking to myself, oh, Jesus got wise and tall. I'm thinking that Jesus got wise and the way that people saw him increased in value. He also probably got tall at the same time. So the idea of stature is how Zacchaeus was seen by others as much as his vertical dimensions. But in this passage, we're really opened and stretched when we look at the word short. Luke and the other gospel writers use this word a lot. It can mean small or little or less or diminished but it's most commonly translated as the least. Zacchaeus was seen by those around him as the least. But what does Jesus say about the least, you might ask? Well, I'm happy to tell you. He tells us many times in many different ways. But here, earlier in Luke's Gospel, he says that for the least among all, all of you, is the greatest. Rethink everything. Zacchaeus was seen as the least, not because of his height, but because of what he did. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, tasked with collecting Roman tariffs on transported goods. Tax collectors didn't have a very good reputation in first century Jewish society. While the fact that they were collecting tariffs would have made them a target for anybody who was under Roman occupation, many of those tax collectors earned that bad reputation because they would overcharge. A little bit for Rome, a little bit for me. And when people saw Zacchaeus they saw him as one of those types of people. 
I wonder if you've ever been prejudged as one of those types of people. Maybe because of your gender. She's just a woman. He's just a man. Maybe because of where you live. If you've come from Logan, you must be a bogan. Maybe because of your ethnicity or cultural backgrounds. And at the moment, we're seeing no starker example of that than the recorded footage of Lang Hancock saying some horrific things about First Nations people back in the 80s. And that horrifies us as we hear it now, but I'm old enough to be, have been around in the 80s, and I'm pretty sure that there was a chorus of people applauding him for his comments. Maybe like Zacchaeus, you've been prejudged because of your occupation. I was prejudged when I was an accountant. When I first started working as the head of finance for the Salvation Army, I, guessed, I, got, I used to get introduced by the divisional commander, who is the equivalent of a bishop in the Salvos, as, this is Stuart, he's an accountant, but he's got a personality. just in case you thought I didn't. And I'm not stupid. I know even though I don't look like a proper priest most of the time, particularly in this service, I know when people find out that I'm a priest, I'm prejudged. You may, might feel that way if people find out that you're a Christian. As Jesus says these words, for the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost, we can rush to conclude that Jesus is saying that Zacchaeus is the one who is lost. But here's a few things that you might have missed. Zacchaeus, as Luke and his orderly account tells us, doesn't rush off and give up his job. In fact, Zacchaeus doesn't actually say sorry for anything. And here's the thing that really, I think, might rattle our sensibilities and expectation. I'm not sure that he repents. Or that he has actually anything to repent for. And I might need to explain this one because you need to know a little bit of New Testament Greek grammar. Zacchaeus says to Jesus in response to be, being called a sinner by the crowd, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. In the translated English, it sounds like Zacchaeus is making a future promise of what he will do. But if you read it in the original New Testament Greek, the grammatical phraseology of this section is in the first person present tense. It's already happening. So it would probably be more correct to read this passage as Zacchaeus saying to Jesus, look, 
half of my possessions, Lord, I am giving to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I am paying them back four times as much. It makes you scratch your head a little bit. How can he do that if he's stuck up in a tree? This has had biblical scholars arguing for generations. But this sort of stuff rarely makes it into a Sunday sermon, or at least one that I've heard. It may well be a future promise, or in that instant moment of conviction that Zacchaeus has already worked out that this is how he's going to deal with it in the future. And maybe he's just got his Greek grammar wrong as Luke's writing it down, but I don't suspect that that's likely given he's doing an orderly account. But I think it's equally possible that while society has judged Zacchaeus as a sinner by sheer weight alone of what he did as a tax collector, he has already been giving away money to the poor. And he's already been making up for his past fraudulent behaviour or that of the tax collectors in his charge before he saw Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus wasn't the only one in this story who had a bad reputation. The other person in this story with a bad reputation was Jesus himself. It's quite likely the reason that Jesus developed that bad reputation was not just because he healed on the Sabbath, but because he spent his time meeting and eating with prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners. And he's earned earned the ire of the religious elite of the time. And we hear in this passage, he's gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And I can almost hear under their breath, again. Now, when you think about it, one of the oddities of this passage is it seems like Jesus hasn't met Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus hasn't met Jesus, yet Zacchaeus calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus. Now, quite possibly this is because Jesus is God. But it's also possible that because of the company Jesus has been keeping, he's already heard about this chief tax collector who lives in this area that he's about to pass through, who's really, really short, and has been giving all his money away to the poor and making up for past bad behaviour. And as he's passing through this area, he's looking around and he looks up and he sees something that he doesn't expect. A short dude in a tree, dressed in clothing that would not normally become a short dude in a tree because normally they'd be a child. And he puts two and two together, which isn't hard because he's God, and says, I know of you, Zacchaeus. I want to spend time with you so I can really get to know you and you can really get to know me. Either way we read this passage, in the present tense or the future tense, the reality is that for Zacchaeus, this is the first time that someone has not 
looked down on him, either literally or metaphorically. Now, you might not be convinced and still like the way that it plays out in the Sunday school song and story. I admit, I I like that as well. But I'm much more challenged by the thought that the lost aren't ever lost as far as Jesus is concerned. I'm much more challenged by the realisation that lost is not a label that Jesus has given. Rather, lost is a label that pre-exists because of a person's situation, their occupation, their background or their condition given to them by others. When we make a generalisation that they must be that type of person, what are we really doing? We're missing the actual person. The person behind the generalisation and the stereotype. And I am overwhelmed by the reality of this passage that Jesus will never miss the person. And so where do we see Jesus throughout the gospel stories? We see Jesus with the ones that others have missed. This passage is about wanting to see and wanting to be seen. If you've been missed, don't you want to be seen and noticed? It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament, story of Hagar, which you can find in Genesis. Now, Hagar is the slave of Sarah, who couldn't have children initially. And so Hagar ends up bearing a son to Abraham and is named Ishmael. Sarah, initially, that was her idea, but once it happened, she realised maybe not so so much of a good idea and gets really jealous and deals really harshly with Hagar. And after this harsh treatment, Hagar is met by God and says these words, You are Elroy. In Hebrew, El Roy literally means God who sees. This is our God. This is the God incarnate in Jesus Christ who sees the actual person and not the generalisation or the stereotype. The God who doesn't see Hagar as just a lowly second-class slave who's done a job and has now lost her worth, who doesn't see Zacchaeus as just a short person or just as a tax collector. God sees them for who they are. And not just who they are, but who they can become in relationship with God. Luke, throughout his gospel, points out a number of encounters where the blind are given sight. And because of the theme of wanting to see, this passage is also included in 
that canon of the blind given sight. But after reading this afresh, I can't help but wonder who's actually blind in this story. Zacchaeus or the ones who are doing all the grumbling? So as we begin to think about the world in which we're now living in, full of its shades of grey, I wonder if we're brave enough to ask ourselves some questions. If lost is a label that Jesus doesn't apply, what about sinner? While the crowd are grumbling about sinners, Jesus is feasting with the ones who have been previously looked down upon. Which side of the story are we on? Honestly, what is our posture as we look out into this crazy, mixed-up world with unlimited shades of grey? Is our posture one of judgment that leads to grumbling? Or is our posture one of looking up that leads to thanksgiving? I'm of the opinion that judgmental grumbling is the biggest single barrier to thanksgiving. How can we be thankful for the grace that we've been given when we're too busy trying to pick out the faults in others? I reckon Jesus and his disciples would have had a cracking good time at Zacchaeus' place that evening. Full of joy and thanksgiving, full of hope and possibility, stories of changed lives. And in that way, this story is about transformation and salvation. I wonder if we're brave enough to ask, who or what are we too busy looking down on to notice the active work of God's grace present in our world? Are we brave enough to ask, does what we do, who people see us to be, or how we see ourselves, sometimes blind us? Are we brave enough to ask, who are the ones that we have prejudged as lost And what can we do to reach out to them? Because we can be sure that when we come alongside those people, we will see Jesus in those places, spaces, and particularly in those people. Zacchaeus represents a desire to see Jesus and a corresponding joy, a joy in his presence. But do people see that desire and joy when they look at us as people of faith? Jesus has the gift for seeing and affirming what others do not. Through the Holy Spirit, can we pray and receive and use that same gift? I wonder what difference would answering those questions make in our crazy world with all its shades of grey. There's some really big questions. And I can't help but look up in desperation and say, Lord, help me to answer them.
I can't help but look at myself and feel a sense of responsibility for not seeing and affirming what others do not. I can't help but look down and feel a sense of humility because I've grumbled when things haven't gone the way that I think that they should be. Christianity isn't given the prominence that it used to have. But I pray that as we're challenged by the power of these words in Scripture, we might rethink everything. That we might continue to become a church that not only wrestles with the big questions, but visibly lives out that wrestle so others can see the authenticity in that. And we might see others, not as sinners over there, but as others worthy of God's love, as others who are already receiving God's love. We just have to join the party. Amen. And I invite you to stand as we continue a time of worship.